Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. All right, welcome back, everyone, to the Living Clean Study for the Anonymous podcast. This is episode 30, and I begin on page 103, which we may also be. But first, we're going to give our introductions. Jennifer W., jump on in and introduce yourself. My name is Jennifer and I'm an addict. My clean date is November 27th, 1992, and I attend meetings in Sacramento, California. Thanks, Jennifer. What's up, Brian? Hello, everyone. My name is Brian B. I'm an addict. My clean date is November 18th, 2019. I attend meetings in southwestern Pennsylvania. All right. Thanks, Brian. What's up, Barb? I'm Barbara from Florida. My clean date is October 4th, 1995. And my home group is the Open Mind, which is a hybrid and in-person meeting, 7.30, Monday nights. All right, thanks, Barbara. What's happening, Jane? I'm Jane A. here from Salem, Oregon. Clean dates, 12-22-79. And my home group is Book Study, Thursday at noon. All right, thanks, Jane. What's happening, Paul? Hi, my name is Paul. I'm an addict. My clean date is January 6, 1995, and I attend meetings in New Orleans, and my home group is Open Mind uh, in person or online. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Paul. What's up, Lee? I'm Lee. I'm an addict. Thanks, Doug. Clean date, August 27, 1987. Uh, my home group's Open Mind, too, and I attend meetings in the greater New Orleans area. All right. Thanks, Lee. What's up, Eva? Hey everybody, Eva P. My clean date is June 10, 2000. I attend meetings in the Mid-Willamette Valley area, which is in Salem, Oregon, and my home group is the Do It Hard meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. <laughs> All right, thanks. Thanks, Eva. And our, our guest this evening, Susie Q from New Jersey. What's up, Susie? I am a grateful recovering addict named Susie. My clean date is July 24th, 2009. Uh, my home group is virtual out of New York called the Step It Up group on Wednesdays. I make in-person meetings in Northern New Jersey and I uh, virtually travel to meetings around the world. Thanks for having me. All right, welcome Susie. And I'm an addict named Douglas. I got clean March 12th, 2000 in Southwestern PA and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina in the Fairmont, West Virginia area now. Um, all right, folks, let's get started. Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast, episode 30. We're going to begin on page 103 with We May Also Be, and Paul M. is going to facilitate. Take it away, Paul. Thanks, Douglas. Uh, Barb, why don't you read the first two paragraphs starting on the bottom of 103, please? Thank we are in the God. chapter on illness, by the way, for those of you following along. I'm Barb Addy. We may also be genuinely afraid of being sick, whether it's a particular diagnosis we're considering or the general idea of having something wrong with us. This may be a kind of powerlessness we don't feel at all ready to accept. We may fear that our health issues will create new uncertainty in our finances, our careers, or our families, or that medication will put our recovery in jeopardy. Our fear of something so far out of our control may be surprising in people who have taken so many really insane risks. The feelings don't always make sense. Fear gives us a chance to act with courage. When we stand up, face what's wrong, and deal with it to the best of our ability, we may not feel very brave at all. But these are the moments at which we serve as the most powerful testimony to what is possible in NA. We are demonstrating strength of character. When we use the tools available to us, calling our sponsor and seeking the experience, strength, and hope of others, allowing our support group to support us and turning to in times of illness and other NA literature, we are able to make decisions we can be comfortable with and take action to do the next right thing. These can be the moments that define our recovery. 
And I like that, especially the part about fear. I have a lot of um, experience with fear, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I had breast cancer in 2012. And then, you, you know, I, I, when the pandemic hit, I, I was immobilized by fear for a minute, the isolation and stuff. Um, when I went back to in-person meetings, I, I felt trepidation, fear, you know, so what I've realized is I would have told you I wasn't scared of nothing, but I'm scared about everything at one time or another, you know, but what I found in, and then I'm getting older, you know, and, and I've had, I've learned to um, work through death in recovery, you know, facing it and, and, um, you know, I live in fear of the cancer. You know, once you've been diagnosed with cancer, I've been coming back, you know, and what I've learned about fear is, 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 is the antidote to fear is a higher power, you know, every time it's staying in today, it's finding gratitude and it's plugging into HP, you know, is what, and, and turning to help somebody else getting out of myself. That's, that's been the antidote for fear to me. And I love this, what it says about, we are demonstrating strength of character and it says act with courage. You know, today that shit gives me a high. You know, today you guys taught me that. I didn't have none of that. When I came here, I had no courage, no strength of character. You know, you guys have, have taught me that or shown me that and I've emulated that. And today that's that's the high that I get by doing stuff like that, by saying, well, you acted courageous, you know. And um, and you know, I'm just so grateful to have this way to live. Thank you. Thanks, Barb. I, um, <laughs> it's funny, I'm having um, uh, a procedure done tomorrow and they keep calling me from the Louisiana Cancer Center, which I would wish they would get off of their, uh, um, <laughs> their caller ID because it jars me every time the call comes in. And, and it, you know, I talked about it last week. It's, you know, I'm having some lesions uh, cauterized and, um, you know, it's just part of, Take, you know, keeping up with getting older and doing the things that I need to do. And I tend to be the person who kind of avoids stuff. Like we didn't, we don't do, you know, in my family, it was like, everybody get up and go to work. We don't, there's no laying around over here. You know what I mean? That's, you know, suck it up, son. This is, uh, you know, everybody got to go and just keep moving. That's very British. Um, you know, my mother grew up during the war, so we didn't put up with shit. Uh, at, in my house. Um, I do, the, the line at the end there, these can be the moments that define our recovery. And I've been thinking, I, I got, I walked into my first meeting in 88 and I got clean for three and a half years uh, before I relapsed and then came back in 95. But during that time, I found out I was HIV positive. And, and one of the things that lit in me was this, we had to try to get medicine and we couldn't get medicine. The FDA was dragging its feet. And, and uh, you know, it's so funny to me, all of the people who are, um, you know, anti-vaccine, anti I don't wanna get too political here, but anti-vaccine, they rushed it through, it's too fast. And I just kind of smirked to myself and I said, you know, I, I laid on a, on a street with a tombstone, uh, a paper mache tombstone above my head so that those, that process would be faster because it used to take forever to get drugs to market. And, um, and, and my friends were dying. And so we had to get it out faster. So, so I got to go, yeah, I know it's faster. I, I, I protested for that. And, uh, and it's funny, it's amusing, but that's the thing that defined my character. Now, I was shooting dope in the 80s, and there were people dropping like flies, but I wasn't protesting. I was sharing needles and getting the disease, and, um, and I, I, but I didn't have it in me to, to think about anybody else but my own self, and, um, and that's the gift that, that NA gave me, is that ability to see the broader picture. And, and that's, that's where I'm at today is, you know, some of this stuff is not because it's for me, but sometimes I got to be, I've got to do some healthcare stuff so that it doesn't affect you. And that broadness of perspective is what Narcotics, uh, Narcotics Anonymous gave me. 
is to not just see my interest, but others' interest. So thanks for that, y'all. Uh, Douglas. Hey, thanks, Paul. And uh, thanks, Barb, too, for speaking on that. Um, just th looking at this, uh, and, and Paul, I'm glad that, that you talked about that, you know, the, the vaccination piece and all that stuff, because like it's real. Everyone listening here is experiencing that, you know, they have friends in their in their support group who are one way and the other way and shit. When we go to meetings, should we wear a mask? And some of our friends are saying, well, fuck that. I ain't wearing them, you know, and all that stuff. So we need to lean in. And, and I think it's cool. Open it up. You know, if we have thoughts and experience on that, you know, share it. And um, like this, feelings don't always make sense. I always heard like getting clean. What's it say? Feelings aren't facts, but the fact is you're going to feel them. It's kind of funny, but you know, it's, it's, it's real. Like my feelings are, are, are real, whether the, the reasons bullshit or not, you know, I feel them. And here's the cool thing. I was just talking to um, my boy's mom, you know, my, my ex, well, my first ex-wife, uh, you know, about this earlier is like, look, you know, um, uh, and, 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 we, and we talk about it here a lot is like the courage, the courage piece, you know, there has to be some level of fear in there for me to you know, to have courage to, to, to still walk in, to still walk it out, you know, to still take those action items. And, um, uh, you know, I find myself kind of, kind of wrestling with something here about the, the financial situation piece. Um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm going tomorrow. Um, as a matter of fact, too, Paul, you know, I'm going tomorrow too. Um, you know, I've been trying to get in to have a, a torn labrum and fraying on my bicep and my left shoulder and, and, and I'm going to need a procedure to get it straightened out. So, you know, I'll finally get that kind of tightened up tomorrow to get a plan of action put in, put into place. And, um, you know, and, and I think it's my addiction hits me with this folks is like, um, am I thinking if I can't, if I can't think about something, you know, going wrong, I'll find something else. And if that there's a solution to that, then I'll, I'll find something else. Like there's a reward, you know, for finding it. I think that was like an old quote too, you know, I find something that's fucked up, like there's a reward for for finding it, you know what I mean? And I do that with this. And so so what we talked about last episode, I really, really, if you guys are listening and in, in the, about the medication piece, go back to episode 29 and really listen to that. I don't have fear about if I have this procedure, you know, whatever that looks like. I, I really feel strongly that my higher power is not going to try to get me on a technicality, you know, and stuff like that. I I, I think I'm squared away with that. Um, I, I got this irrational fear of, of not, not being able to protect myself. And if my, if my left side of my body is going to be confound to like my rib cage, you know, for, for six weeks or something, you know, I got this really, really weird fear. Yeah. I, you know, that I'm not safe. And, um, and so, I, so I don't know what that, you know, where that comes from or whatever, but I'm sharing about it, you know, I'm not going to kind of keep that, you know, all bought up here. So it grows into something kind of crazy because here, and I'll say this and I'll pass. Paul. If even, even that sounds real silly, like, oh, I'm not safe because I can't move my left shoulder, you know, and I'm afraid of that. But here's what happens. Like if I don't get that right size, um, I say, fuck, fuck the procedure. And I put it off another, well, I mean, it's been 16 years. So I'll put it off another, another 16 years, you know, stuff like that. That's what I do, man. That's what I do. If I'm not, if I'm not like putting it out here, it just builds, builds. And I say, I can't do, it. you know? So anyway, I'll go ahead and pass with that. Thanks. Lee, go ahead. Actually, Eva had her hand up before us. Go, go ahead, Eva. I'm gonna pass to you. Go ahead, Eva. I'll wait. Well, it's, thank you. Such a gentleman. I um, recently, <clears throat> I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but recently I just went back to work after two years of being off. Um, first, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and found that I wasn't able to do the job that I had been doing. Um, you know, I mean, I could work from home doing my this business, but financially, really, it was a it was a hardship for my family. So there was fear in that, and not just fear, but I also felt like I didn't uh, contribute to. Uh, my family anymore um the only people I really have to contribute to because my kids are grown are me and my husband and my three dogs but god forbid my dogs go without treats or toys and uh I have to you know tighten the belt but the fear uh recently going back to work and then I had COVID really bad for those of you who don't know um and through that I ended up having to have back surgery 
because when I woke up, I couldn't walk and all those things, right? So just now I got back to work. This is week two. And um, all of those fears came back again. Like, am I going to be able to do it? Is it going to be too hard? Am I too old? Am I too rusty? Am I too, 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 too? And um, it's crazy. Um, it says right here, feelings don't always make sense, but fear gives us a chance to act in courage. And I, um, you know, whether I can or can't, I won't know if I don't try. And um, just like my home group name, I do it hard, right? If it's hard, I'm gonna do it anyways. When that four step is hard and I'm scared, I'm gonna do it anyways. When that six step is hard and I really don't wanna look at my stuff, I do it anyways. And when I come to fear with illness and medications, because all of those things have changed in my life since 2019. And, um, and now I'm trying to get those things turned around, you know, with the weight loss and the, all the things. And, um, and I have to be honest, uh, it's been really, really hard. But if it's easy, I find that maybe I get a little bored as an addict. I don't know. We just always, I feel like I'm always doing things. And, and if it's easy, meh, we don't talk about it. But when it's hard, it's like, yeah, I did that. So um, yeah, I don't know. That was just what I wanted to talk about. Like I'm just back to work after years of being off years and um it's been scary and hard and i do it anyway that's all thanks eva lee thanks paul um a couple of things something doug touched on and it's part right here where it says this may be a kind of powerlessness we don't feel at all ready to accept um i've got a plethora of stuff going on right now and i also won the genetic lottery with dementia and alzheimer for both both of my parents um which i hope i can get that in quickly but anyway um i just started working recently too even that's interesting and i made a shit ton of money and then i turned around and scheduled a surgery for this month 21st so doug i won't be talking on the 22nd if i'm on at all i'm gonna get my my girl corrected Paul said I should have bought a new car. That was funny. <laughs> um, and we may fear that our health issues will create new uncertainties in our finances, our careers, families, et cetera. Um, that isn't my fears. Like I have a very small uh, windpipe. And so now because I, I can't sleep with a CPAP mask on, the VA wants to insert this device into my neck that has like a remote control in my pack. You know, you click it on before you fall asleep at night and you click it off when you wake up. And, and I'll find out more about that uh, either later this week or next week. Um, but to, to touch on the fear piece, so I have a sister that's like five or six years older than me who retired. And, and now her dementia is just like at an all time high. Um, and so after, after taking care of my mom through her uh, stint with Alzheimer's and then dealing with my sister and my nephew, who's always calling me to find out what to do about his mom, it, cre it, it brings up, initially it brings up this huge feeling of fear, like, oh shit. Paul, I'm going to have to live in your closet because I'm going to lose my mind by Monday. You know what I mean? I'm going to wake up Monday and walk around the neighborhood naked or something crazy like that. And, and people in my family have done pretty strange stuff. Um, and so uh, I think it was Barb who, who touched on the solution being the relationship that, that Narcotics Anonymous has created with my higher power. When, when that feeling comes up, and it took me some time. I'm not going to tell you that it was like really cool and spiritual at first. Like at first I would snap. I was a little snappy with her. And, uh, and I used to get really frustrated when she wanted me to fix her computer in San Antonio when I I'm in New Orleans and she doesn't listen. Um, but it took me, it took me a minute to kind of stay woke on it. And then 
deliberately place those principles in place and deliberately rely on my third step that my higher power did not bring me all this way just to drop me off. And, and, and uh, Doug, when you wanna talk about those fears, bro, I have a solution. Just keep the gun in your right hand. Holl <laughs> at your boy, holl at your boy. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Lee. Go ahead, Jane. I'm gonna kind of take a left turn here from everybody mostly because I don't have a lot of uh, strong illnesses in one way or another. Um, but where I get fearful is going to a doctor for anything and having them think that I'm coming there to get drugs. I have a lot of fear and I can be very reactive when I'm in a doctor's office and they want to give me pain pills or they think I'm one there for pain pills. And in my using days, that's what I did. I had a whole string of doctors <laughs> got, you know, Prozac back in those days was the answer to um, any kind of anxiety. And, uh, and I had an open-end prescription through the military for quite a while. And um, so I get really sensitive about going to the emergency room or anything else that they think I'm drug seeking. Um, and I've had some doctors. But finding the courage to go ahead and sit and say, I don't want pain pills. This is who I am. I want some diagnosis. I want an MRI or an ultrasound or something and, and following that up. And um, I think that w um, as a fellowship, for those of out there that are, are fairly new to this podcast here to Narcotics Anonymous, I think in some ways we find it easier to talk about the mental illness or the emotional than we do to say, you know, wait a minute, maybe this is just a physical thing that could be taken care of very quickly. We're just really quick to get into the mental and emotional part when, uh, in fact, it could just be a physical thing that, you know, a little bit of medicine and we're all done. So um, I, I think that taking care of things fairly early is good, but I, I also know there's a lot of fear around uh, going into, especially the urgent care emergency that little pamphlet they talked about in here in times of illness is a really good pamphlet. Uh, we've got some good pamphlets in Narcotics Anonymous, and we quite often don't read them. We just stay with the, uh, the, the books. And one of the things they talk about in there is as we get older, you know, by the grace of God, we get a chance to get older. Uh, we have a lot of things <laughs> that we discover is wrong about us. And, um, and some of it is just getting older. You got nothing to do with the drug use or lack of, um, but just getting older and um, learning to live with it. I uh, put off going in to see my doctor for a really long time. She knows all about me and she's a neat lady. We like to chit chat, but I put it off going in and seeing about my leg because I thought, God, what a minor little thing compared to all these other things in this world. I just got a little trouble with the leg and it's probably just fat. <laughs> You know, probably lack exercise, blah, 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 blah. And fact is, I was, I was nervous. I was scared about it. And she went in and got an ultrasound the same day. And okay, I got a blood clot. Okay, they got medicine for that. We can take care of it. And I'm going to be fine. And, uh, but I didn't, I was afraid of the diagnosis. I was so afraid of the diagnosis in my head, you know, that I was too afraid to walk into the doctor's office. So, for those of you out there that necessarily don't have a death sentence already on top of you, it's really okay to go to a doctor. Thanks. Thanks, Jane. Uh, Susie. Susie Adams. Wow, there is so much clean time in here and, and I, I really appreciate you sharing um, what you've been through and stayed clean despite of you know, the illnesses and, and the fears and all these things. And, and what really, what I love about the literature uh, and these paragraphs, it says we, this is a we fellowship, right? And so therefore we don't go through the shit alone. And, um, you know, this part, fear gives us a chance to act with courage. When we stand up, face what's wrong and deal with it to the best of our ability, we may not feel very brave at all, but these are the moments at which we serve as the most powerful testimony to what is possible in NA. We are demonstrating a uh, strength of character. I mean, for me, 
in active addiction, I did not go to doctors. That messed up my clean time, my, my get high time. You know, I, I wasn't, you know, I, I almost lost my foot because of abscesses, you know, like there was so many things. I, I avoided the dentist at all costs. And, and if I did go to the doctor, it was only to steal syringes because this is before it was, uh, you know, easily available at Dwayne Reed and CVS and all those things. So um, anyways, uh, I, the courage, right? And the courage, I, I gave myself hep C and active addiction. And, uh, and because of the members that shared about going on treatment, it gave me the courage. I applied a second step. The doctors were a power greater than myself that could restore my body to sanity. And uh, so I started going to doctors and um, I was scared. You know, I was scared. This is before all the pills. You take one pill a day or whatever. This is this was like a triple therapy that I had to take. And I found myself where I had to inject my stomach with syringes. And like, thank God for the members of Narcotics Anonymous that would stay on the phone with me because I found myself tapping the syringe and ready to lick it <laughs> the way I used to the drugs. You know what I'm saying? It was, and I was like, I had to tell myself, my mind, like, this is drugs. Like, this is toxic. This is, uh, or, or whatever it was. And the fear was, at least when you were doing the drugs, you kind of had an idea of the feeling you would get after it. This affected everybody differently. I didn't know if I was going to break out in hives, if I was going to lose my hair, the brain fog. I didn't know how I was going to feel from one minute to the next. But but the fellowship showed up and 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 encouraged me to keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and I made it through and now I'm hep C free. And I, I didn't want to really live that long before, so I didn't really care. But because I'm clean and and, and I have this amazing life, I want to live longer, you know? And, and so recently I just had a, a, another thing and she talked about the mental too. I have, um, as a child, I had trauma that was like done by my first boyfriend. He knocked my teeth out. You know, uh, I went from one abusive relationship to another abuse. Anyways, so as a result, like throughout the years from when I was 13 years old till now I'm 45, right? The dental issues, you know, and the dental issues is not just having a dental issue. It's like, a dental issue that's attached to a trauma, a traumatic event that I relive over and over. And no matter how many times I work the steps, the steps aren't going to really remove that part of my trauma. For some reason, I, I apply them to the best of my ability, but I have to seek outside help, a power greater than myself that will deal with that PTSD. So recently, and I, I, I throughout the years, I get these problems. Like it started with a three tooth bridge, expanded to a five tooth bridge, expanded to an eight tooth bridge. And then now I found myself at this point where it was like, the bridges are failing. It's not going to work anymore. You have to surrender, you know? And so I took that courage and faith and trust. And, and, and I went to other recovering addicts, like, how did you do it? What did you do? Who works the best? And I did my research and I went through with it. Nine teeth pulled and four implants inserted in one day. Oh my God. And I was terrified. I was terrified. And then I was like, oh God, they're going to give me a sedative. I was like, can you please knock me out? And they're like, no. I said, I, my body has a traumatic uh, uh, response. I have a trauma response. So when I get in the chair, it just uncontrollably shakes and I can't control. I say the serenity prayer. I try to, nothing works. So I'm like, it's not you. The dentist isn't even touching me and I'm shaking like a leaf. It's just that that response. So they said, we can't knock you out, but we're going to give you a sedative. And so I went like did all the research on this sedative, talked to my sponsor. And she said, read in times of illness and chapter seven in the basic text. And, you know, and I, I and I said, you know what, I need to take the sedative and the sedative didn't work. So I needed to take another sedative and that didn't work either. So the dentist is like, what's on your mind? Like you could share. I was like, honestly, I want to take a bat and knock the teeth out of the man who did this to me when I was a child. He said, give her the gas. That is what worked. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I made it through. I survived. You know, the, the narcotics that were prescribed to me afterwards was monitored. Everything, I didn't take it as prescribed. I took it less than prescribed. You know, instead of taking it every four to six, I took it every 10 to 11, you know, until there was that moment where I was like, you know what, I'm okay now. So um, I made it through, but only the only way I made it through all of this is because of the we of the fellowship. You know what I'm saying? And it talks about the we. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Thanks, Susie. Uh, Casey, 
Uh, why don't you start with the next two chapters that we may start trying on 104. <clears throat> you got it. Hey fam, my name's Casey and I'm an addict to clean date. Okay. 30 of 2013, and I attend meetings in the Mid-Willamette Valley area of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, we may start trying to deal with, we may start trying to make deals with God, promising all sorts of things if he will just please, if he will just please go, if this will please go away. This type of beginning is not uncommon, but it is dangerous and frequently unhelpful. When we start trading on promises and expectations in our prayers, we are setting ourselves up for a spiritual crisis. A higher power is not a vending machine. Hmm. We accept life on life's terms. We come to understand that the terms are not negotiable. Miracles happen to us and around us all the time. The very fact that we are alive and clean to face this challenge is a miracle. And there are always more unfolding if we look at them. Gratitude may be most needed when it is hardest to find. Looking for the reasons we have to be grateful in a moment of crisis can make all the difference, but daring or demanding miracles don't seem to work very well. We take action and turn the results over. <clears throat> surrender in times of illness can mean a lot of different things. We surrender to the process. We surrender to the fact of mortality and to the possibility of survival. Surrender in this sense does not mean giving up. One member in the midst of a long illness said, it was pretty easy for me to surrender to the possibility of dying. It was a different kind of surrender for me to become willing to fight for my life. Um, <clears throat> you know, what comes to mind for me when I'm reading this chapter is I, uh, since I've been in recovery, haven't had a lot of serious health issues that I have had to deal with of myself. Um, but I did walk through um, my dad's cancer. And I remember when he was diagnosed with cancer, um, <clears throat> You know, I tried pleading with God to just save him. Um, and that made me just more uncomfortable. And I finally um, got to a place where I became, um, you know, I'm in healthcare. And what I wanted my dad to do was different than what he wanted to do, right? Like he didn't want to do chemo because he didn't want to lose his hair. And he wanted to do a very minimal amount of treatments. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, you need to do everything that you can to give you the best possible chance of beating this cancer. And um, through a lot of prayer and yelling at God um, and work through the steps, I got to this place where I was able to just walk beside him and whatever decision he made, I got to support him in that decision and fully support him, not resentfully support him and saying, yes, I support you on one hand and on the other hand, being super resentful that he's not getting the chemo and he's not doing all of these things. And I got to this place with God where it was like, okay, God, like whatever your will in this is, just help me to get through it. Um, if, if it is your will for him to no longer be here, I will accept that. And truly, truly feeling that in my heart and in my soul. And I got to this place where um, that was the best sense of calm within a storm that I have ever felt was walking through that cancer with my dad, walking through it. Um, with the most grace and dignity that I think I've ever had in my entire life. It was absolutely a doing of a, of a power greater than myself. Um, and the miracle out of that is in trusting the process, trusting my God, not trying to negotiate with him. Um, he got to do his work in my dad's life and today he's cancer free. Um, so I, I uh, no longer try, I'm probably not gonna say that I never try to make deals with God, but on most days I, um, I just try to help God or just ask God to help me just accept whatever the outcome is in, in whatever health situation that is. And, um, it generally, uh, keeps me at a calmer state. You know, I, I think that that's probably the biggest thing that I've walked through since I've been clean was his cancer. And, um, it was an amazing experience. Like it was amazing from start to finish to be able to, to fully surrender, to not try to negotiate through, not try to micromanage, not try to manipulate the situation to be the outcome that I want it to be, but to fully give that to God. So that's all I have with that. Thanks, Casey. Jennifer. Thanks, Paul. Um, the, the gratitude piece um, that it just talked about is probably the one thing that just like, like, I don't know why I always forget that when I'm a grateful addict, you know, or grateful about, you know, anything that um, completely changes my perception. And, and, you know, this is, you know, 
at, at this moment today, this, a lot of this stuff is really like hit home for me. And, and to go back a little bit, what we were reading before, you know, on Friday, I tested positive for COVID. So I've been stuck in my house since Friday. Um, dealing with, which I'm really grateful for very mild symptoms, um, you know, but enough that it, you know, I, 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 I recently, you know, quit my job. And part of what I do for work now is actually going out of the house and doing that work. And if I don't do it, I don't get paid. And so I spent the last, you know, three days, like in this anxiety of everything was going to fall apart, you know, and, and the time that I had COVID, the world, you know, it was like chicken little, right? The sky is falling, the world is ending. And, and I forgot to be grateful, right? Um, I mean, I forgot to do a lot of things, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, you know, when once I got stuck in that cycle, I got sucked in really quick. And because I didn't feel good, and because I was missing events that I was supposed to go to, and all this other stuff, I literally just kind of turned into this um, anxiety ridden, you know, uh, ungrateful, unhappy, you know, um, you know, being, which is not normally, you know, who I am. And, 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 and I, and I'll tell you what happened. I stopped doing everything. I didn't feel good. So I wasn't meditating. I wasn't journaling. I, I, I wasn't sleeping well. Um, you know, my kids are home because they have to stay home for a certain amount of days. So we're all stuck in the house together and I have teenagers and that answers that, you know, question right there. And, um, and I really, you know, I look at it today and I was talking to a friend of mine and it literally makes me laugh how insane I got so quickly over something that is not life shattering. Um, and, and what I found was, is that my disease tricked me and I was, I, I fell for it, you know, um, that all of a sudden I'm not going to be financially able to take care of my family. I'm not going to be able to do anything that I need to do to take care of them. But yet every person that knew that I had COVID in my support group kept texting me and calling me and asking me if I need help. And you know what I said? No, I'm okay. I got it. Everything's okay. Right. So even, even today, when I switch my perception, you know, I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and they were like, maybe you should do a gratitude list. And, you know, I was kind of on the far, I was on the better end of it yesterday. And, uh, and I was like, why would I want to do that? I mean, literally in my head, I, and I was like, oh, ha, right. And, and the first thing in my response is like, fuck you. I don't want to do a gratitude list, but it, I mean, it's true, you know, and, 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 and really the, the idea you know, again, this is a we program, you know, Susie was talking about it, but I wasn't using the we, you know, I was not using the we and subsequently I was insane and my life was unmanageable, you know, um, and all of a sudden now I've checked in with my people, I've done some work, I've gotten up, meditated and who knows, all of a sudden I still have COVID, but guess what? I'm okay. Like, you know what I mean? And, 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 and today, you know, I, um, I was one of my friends called to check in on me and he said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, if you would have heard yourself two days ago when I talked to you, he's like, you're like a completely different person. And I was like, man, that is that is my disease at its finest. Right. You know, and um, and he was like, I was like really worried for a minute, like I was going to have to come over and like really like do a welfare check on you. And I was like, OK, that's a little dramatic, but um, I'm sure I was also being a little dramatic as well. But I just it's so important to me. Um, we all have moments. I, you know, we all fall down. We all have fear, you know, um, you know, and, and, and the one thing that, that I didn't do that, that, you know, is an MO for me, you know, we talk about it all the time. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't act out, you know, I didn't get on Amazon and decide I needed a whole new wardrobe because I didn't feel good. You know, I didn't eat myself to death. You know what I mean? It's like, I didn't participate in behaviors and make big decisions, which normally when I feel that way, I want to crawl outside of my body and make some decisions that's going to change the way that I feel. And I didn't, you know? Um, and so that's the gratitude for me today, you know, and the gratitude for me today also is that, you know, I'm, I, even though I have COVID, like I'm, I'm really okay, you know, and, uh, and I'm really blessed for that. And I know that not everybody has had that fortunes before, and I need to remember that. So um, anyways, with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Jennifer. The, the line in there, when we start trading on promises and expectations in our prayers, we are setting ourselves up for a spiritual crisis. And I, I, I confuse magic with spirituality sometimes, 
Oh, please let this all happen the way I want it to happen. God, now, please. And um, that's, that's not what this is about. We're very specific about it. In fact, the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out is what I am praying for. Very specific. And, um, you know, that's the thing. I, I, um, I have to be very careful about that because if I pray not to die and I die, was my A, higher power, not real, B, not listening, or the third, am I not worthy of being heard and given that? None of those are true for me. None of those are true for me. I, um, not to go off, but there's a, but I will. Um, there's a, um, a, a short story written by Mark Twain called The War Prayer in, re- in um, answer to the Civil War and how people were praying for the other side to lose. And, um, you know, I have to be careful with my prayer is that, you know, when I pray for something, something, something gets taken away somewhere else a lot of times. And, um, and, and for me, especially on a thing about illness is maybe this is the lesson. Maybe this thing that's happening that doesn't feel good and is a problematic is the very lesson that I need in this moment. I know, I know that HIV, being HIV positive, and the death of my mother and the death of my father were the three most formative events in my recovery in the last 20 something years. I would have prayed to have none of those happen. But I would, I would, miss, I would miss out. So just remember, and it's hard to remember, it's hard to remember that in the moment when it feels like, oh, fuck, you know, Something is being is happening. And, and, the, and the, the thing I re- remember is when I can't find my keys and I'm cursing and pissed and upset, what did I miss by the time that I was looking for my keys? Did I miss the five-car pileup? I don't know. Something greater than me is seeing the full picture. And that's what I have to remember. I don't have all the information about this and I have to be okay. And look, as addicts, we are control freaks. We hate it. We wanna know everything about everything. We wanna have it go our way. And when it doesn't, woe betide. And uh, and, and the, the great relief of step work and things like this and is, is to get a different perspective just for today, a better perspective on my life. All right, uh, Brian, oh, Doug, Douglas, go ahead. And then I'll go to Brian to, to read. All right, thanks, Paul. You, you know, when you were talking about this, man, I started thinking you, addiction murdered my sister six years ago, right? And she was 29 and through that, I think you're absolutely right about how some of these events are the big or are, are, are really neat teachers in our life. And, and like we combine that with with this this sense, it reads like um, um, we understand that that the terms are not negotiable. And I put in the margin like but my perspective is, you know, just is, you know, and, and, and which is really cool, because like when that happened, my mom lost her her number one using buddy. How could God take my number one using buddy away? My perspective, same situation, was was there was a loving God who showed mercy and showed compassion that my sister didn't have to live another 10 years the way that she was living. You know what I'm saying? Like she she fit the definition. She's just like me. She fit the definition that we talked about last week of like how pitiful it is to see an addict with a really high tolerance for pain 
that was her 100%, man. And, and it was like looking in the mirror until the day she died. But but check this out, man. I, and, and I'll end with this, Paul, kick it back to you. Um, it's really cool. A higher power is not a vending machine. Beautiful. Applied in every area of my life. Like I have to, I try to tell my kids I'm not a vending machine. They don't fucking listen. But, you know, higher power is not a vending machine, which is really cool. And um, um, miracles happen to us and around us all the time so powerful man like when when i'm looking for the miracle i see him all over the place and you know what when i'm looking for shit i i I see that all the time too you know and and so what i need to do for me which one am i looking for get busy looking for it all right i'll pass daddy buy me stuff daddy buy me stuff uh brian there is no model for the recovering addict please yes thanks paul there is no model of the recovering addict, no one right way to do things. Some of us taking an honest look at at ourselves and our lives really don't wanna live that long. It may sound odd, but it's true. Longevity is not a universal goal or necessarily a universal good. Some of us make choices knowing they will shorten our lives. We may choose to smoke, we may choose to eat in a way that we know is harmful. We may make a decision to stop or refuse treatment for an illness. A member whose parents had a difficult old age said, I'm not going to do that to my daughter. I have a life I love, but that doesn't mean I want to play play the hand to the end. We may be surprised at some of the decisions we make or the strength of our feelings about them. These decisions are deeply personal and we may make them in accordance with our values. We want to be certain that we are acting on our beliefs, not opening a reservation that could lead us back to using. Each of us finds a balance we can live with between taking perfect care of ourselves we make what matters is that we know we are making it honestly and openly. So that there's a lot involved there, and like there's really no model, you know, set up for for recovery. Um, but there is a model set up for going back to using, and like I really have to look at the decisions that I make on a daily basis. Like, are these healthy choices that I'm making, or are they choices that could be detrimental to my recovery? And like, just what I've taken in tonight, like I can think back to like the first time that I had to go to to have a surgery done at the dentist, and I made sure like at the bottom of the page on my chart I put, um, you know, make sure that I don't have any narcotics, and. Um, that was uh, one of, a big decision in my recovery for me because in the past, you know, I would take whatever I could get. And then, you know, once the surgery was over, they still came into the waiting room, you know, and said, you know, are, are you comfortable with taking vitamin and uh, uh, Vicodin? I'm sorry. And uh, I said, no, I'm not comfortable with that at all. So they, you know, prescribed me with something that was a little bit less, you know, like ibuprofen 800 or something like that. And, uh, you know, I feel like that was the very first time that I made a stand for myself, like staying clean was, was so important to me. Like I didn't want to have to take the chance, you know, even if it was going to, you know, help me. But, um, you know, I, I still I still kind of smoke every once in a while. And, um, you know, I, I'm not really ready to fully get rid of it. But, um, you know, everything's a process. And, and when it's time to be removed, you know, I'll remove it. But, um just being a little bit over two and a half years clean, like I, I, I just make sure that like staying clean comes first. And, um, you know, I, I, I try not to treat myself in a destructive way, you know, and I try to take care of myself today and, and make good choices, um, especially with the people that I associate with. And, um, you know, and I know that there's nothing that, you know, I'm going to face you know, being clean that someone else hasn't already went through before. And, and those are the people that I look for when I'm in the struggle, man. Like, how did you get through it? And every time they pull me through. So um, thanks for letting me share on that. Thanks, Brian. Uh, uh, the funny thing was the nurse called me or sent me a text yesterday. Please have someone to drive you uh, so that when we give you the Xanax before the uh, procedure, uh, you'll have somebody to, uh, to drive you home. And I went, did I have, I've had this procedure before. I don't think I had a Xanax before. And she said, no, I just send that out to everybody. I said, so do I have to take the Xanax? And she says, no, you don't have to. 
I said, well, I think I won't. And I'll drive myself home. Does that, is that okay? Is it going to be worse this time? Cause I, you know, I want to know if it's like, <laughs> I want to cover my bases here. <laughs> Cause I don't want to be screaming for the Xanax on the table. <laughs> She said, no, it's going to be exactly the same. But that's the thing. That's what Narcotics Anonymous has taught me, is to have a fucking conversation. Don't just kind of be airheady about shit. If somebody asks you about something, start having a conversation. Well, what, what is this going to do? Well, how am I going to do it? Do I need to have this? Can I, can I not have it? And listen. And have some conversations. And I told my sponsor about it. And he said, well, if you need something, I can come get you. And I said, well, I don't think I do. I think it'll be okay. And I just talk about it. It's, it's not hard. It's not hard. Susie, uh, can you read the last uh, paragraph and, and comment and do your comments? And then we'll finish up this chapter. We are always... We are always on a continuum between health and illness, between action and wishing, between living in accordance with our beliefs and betraying ourselves and our values. We come back to the tools of the program again and again to fine tune that balance and to find a way to bring ourselves back to a life we are comfortable with. Our process of inventory, amends and surrender is an unending source of improvement for us. We find our values and learn what it means to live by them. Over time, we can let go of our expectations for what we thought life was supposed to be or what we think others expect of us and, and live according to the values we find within ourselves. As we learn what is true for us, we find that we are less compelled either to be perfect or to destroy ourselves. We are free to live lives according to our own choosing and design. Man, what a paragraph that is. I mean... Thank you to everybody who's been sharing um, all of this, all of this, like this last page was really, really hitting me hard with the, with, between the gratitudes in moments of crisis to the, uh, the surrender to the fact to mortality and the, the and survival to, uh, to the choices that we make to, you know, the balance of taking good care of ourselves, perfect care or, or neglecting ourselves all the way to here to that continuum and uh, amends and surrender. You know, like for me, I, I, I lived a life of dereliction for a very, very, very long time. And um, also I am the child of, of two mentally ill parents. You know, I was born to two mentally ill parents. So the, the things that I were taught about taking care of myself were really like, crazy you know my father was a homeless veteran so he taught me how to survive and then like mommy taught me like not about feeling good not about nourishing the body but about looking good you know so I, I was taught all these these crazy things and you know I watched them as as a part of staying clean you know I watched them deteriorate in their old age just because we get clean doesn't mean life stops you know my parents eventually became my children and Lee, you know, my mother had dementia and, and, you know, I remember, and the thing about like mortality, what it says about mortality. I remember the last time I saw my mother alive, I was standing over her bed, looking at her saying, this is no quality of life. Like she is not the same mommy that I remember. And the next thing, you know, she didn't answer the phone the next day. So it was like remaining grateful that God, did this it's all about perspective you know like douglas said like our perspective is negotiable right so my perspective became like the the favor that god did that it wasn't a slow long painful death like it was instant you know and 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 i think that's how i want to go because the minute i lost mommy i started thinking about myself and my physical self because i had two parents that depended on me i was a, a caregiver for two parents in separate locations so if something happened to me who would take care of them because the government sure wasn't showing up and 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 you know i, I was fighting for their rights and all these things right and then um same thing with daddy, you know, daddy went blind. Um, he was paranoid, schizophrenic with severe PTSD. He was an addict we used to use together. And eventually he went blind. And then the next thing you know, I get clean. And, 
and and it wasn't easy, but it was a wee thing. So you guys helped me. And then, and then he was hit by a car <laughs> and then, you know, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. And, um, but I got through it and I was able to see that I had been prepared for all of these things the whole time. You know what I'm saying? It was like, like, it doesn't make sense in the moment, but later on, it's like, oh my God, what, who better to deal with these types of things when he had prostate issues. I was in the room when they removed the catheter. Wow. That was crazy. But then again, like, look where we come from and look at all the things that we've survived, you know? Um, so they say that God gives his toughest battles to his strongest soldiers, you know, and, and everything that I'm going through, I learned that it's with a purpose and I've learned how to turn. Well, I tried to the best of my ability to turn my pain into purpose. You know, I lost my father suddenly during COVID, not to COVID. He had a brain aneurysm, but the quality of his life, like he had broke, he was a blind man walking around with crutches that was schizophrenic that thought that like people were standing outside the door waiting to beat me up with a two by four. I didn't leave his side for three months during COVID. Thank God addicts are brilliant enough to, to figure out a way to carry the message during a pandemic, a worldwide pandemic, so that I wasn't alone caring for him and going through all these things. Um, but now it's like, okay, before my motive to take care of my body was for them, coming from a place of dereliction and now that I'm alone and I need to take care of myself, I struggle sometimes. You know, my purpose was before was like, like find out who Susie is without the drugs and then finding out like, okay, Susie is a daughter and Susie needs to care for her parents. And now I don't have that purpose anymore. So now I have to like fight. Okay, real quick. This one guy I was talking to, right? We are each other's eyes and ears, right? And so those who care enough about recovery will tell us about ourselves, right? So I'm having this conversation with this guy named Polo. And he said, Susie, when you take showers, do you just wash your hair and let the soap fall down your body? Or do you take the time to love yourself enough to wash your feet? And I lied because I had ego. And I said, yeah, 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 I washed my feet. But the next time I took a shower, I was like, fuck you, Polo. Oh my God. And I had to literally wash my feet. So it's like about making amends to ourselves because I put my feet through so much. So now it's like, taking that time to not allow dereliction to still creep in those old strange behaviors and mannerisms. And I make it a point to wash my feet, to, 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 to take care of my toes. And I use peppermint soap, you know? So like, these are the things that the balance that we strive for. And, and I just need you guys, you know what I'm saying? Like NA can survive without me, but I can't survive without NA. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Susie. That was great. <laughs> Wash your feet, everyone, for God's <laughs> sakes. Wash those toes. <laughs> Wash those toes. I, I, you know, I, um, anybody else before I go? Uh, uh, go ahead, Jennifer. I just wanted to make a comment on one sentence because for me, they go hand in hand. Um, it says here, you know, uh, as we learn what is true for us, we find whether we are less compelled to either be perfect or to destroy ourselves. And, and I think Susie said something about like her mom, like looking good, like that was the thing. Right. So for me, my attempt to be perfect is destroying myself. Right. It destroys me, my mindset, my recovery. It takes me to a place where I'm never going to be enough. And part of that for me today, and it's an amends to myself is really trying to find the gray area in all areas of my life. But when it comes to my health, allowing myself to like, if I want to have some ice cream, I'm going to have some ice cream, but I don't need to eat the whole half gallon of ice cream. Right. So not that I'm good at it, but I practice, you know, I mean, I would prefer to eat the half gallon of ice cream, but that perfection piece for me sends me in a place that I'm unrecognizable. And it's a false sense of advertisement to others. I'm not perfect. I need to be transparent. And so I need to be real and be true. And it took me a long time to get there. So um, I just needed to say that, that I'm, I'm not perfect. That destroys me. And I'm way better off in the middle. Um, the middle is very hard for me, um, but I keep practicing. So I'm going to pass with that. Thanks. Thanks, Jan. Um, you know, if I walked in when I was 27, I'm 61 now, and we've been talking a lot about big stuff happening in lives as we stay clean. Here's the great news. If you are new and young, I am living my best life at 61, right? I, 
I am more successful. I am happy where I'm at. I'm comfortable in my own skin, even though it's saggy and, uh, and wrinkled, but I will take my skin over anybody else's skin any day. And that is worth the price of admission. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.